Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Mastering College to Career Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Botero, and in this podcast, we help college students just like you get internships and job offers from top companies. In this podcast, we explore topics such as networking, interviewing, resume writing, and many other topics that will get you those jobs. Not only do I speak on these topics myself, but I also interview other subject matter experts, including CEOs, university presidents, and Fortune 500 executives. We also interview college students just like you in the hopes that you can relate to their stories and learn from their journey. So if you're a college student looking to get ahead, look no further and welcome to the Mastering College to Career podcast. All right, so before we get started, I want to take a couple of seconds to tell you about the Mastering College to Career Academy. The Academy is a mentoring program that helps college students land the jobs of their dreams before they graduate. In this academy, I will teach you application hacks that will automatically help you beat over 90% of all other job applicants, networking tactics that will give you access to the hidden job market where over 80% of jobs are filled, interview techniques that will practically guarantee you make it through every round of the interviews and win the offer. And I will also connect you with my network of thousands of HR professionals and hiring managers that love hiring my students. So if you're interested in learning more about this program, just send me a message and let's see if the Academy is a good fit for you. All right, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the Mastering College to Career Academy. And today we're going to be talking about a book that I just read that was amazing. And you know, I like reading. And if, it's a, if I say it's a good book, guys, you know it's a good book. So I have Alex Belitis with me today and alex is the author of the book modern college that comes out this week so we're talking about um and he is also a product manager at linkedin my favorite social media platform yay yay alex man how you doing today welcome to the show i'm good man uh thanks for having me on daniel i'm uh i'm super stoked to you know be on here today and uh you know to all the listeners we'll get into this later but like i think having mentors and friends in space spaces that you're working helps. And, uh, you know, Daniel's been a huge help to me on this journey. Um, and I'm excited to talk with him today um, about, you know, this, this issue of top of college that we both care a lot about. I, I love it. I love having this conversations as a whole, but I love the fact that we're going to have this conversation because you've put a, you've put a lot of thought into this, right? You put a lot of thought into it, into the point where you wrote a book about this. And so um, your book, there's a lot of similarities to mine, and I know that, um, to give you guys a little background, the idea was for Alex to read my book and talk about it, but here's the thing. He was working on his book, and I, he didn't want to be influenced by my, by my book, so he, is, um, he doesn't know this, but I know this since I wrote my book and I read his book, that there's a lot of similarities about, uh, about it. The interesting thing is how we, have, we see college, we have... We're so we're very different, right? We talk about our backgrounds are different, um, and our experiences in college are different. But it's interesting that if you read if you read my book and then you go read Modern College, you're gonna see that there's the keys to be successful in college are identical. We talk about the very same things it takes to be successful, and whether you are you know a first generation minority student whether you are a student that went to a, a prep school that then went to a really good university and then landed a job with a top tech company in Silicon Valley, right? Like you have these extremes 
Mm-hmm. We both talk about it, what it takes to be successful in college, and you're going to see very, very similar themes. And so I'm excited about it. So before we really dive into your book, Alex, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and why you wrote this book? Definitely. So thanks for the intro, Daniel. And uh, yeah, for a little bit about me, um, you know, since we're talking about college, I'll give a little bit of my educational background. Um, you know, I grew up most of my life in Wisconsin uh, and chose to attend the University of Wisconsin-Madison, uh, go Badgers. Um, it's, uh, you know, the largest state school we have, and honestly, it was a great time. And after college, I went and started as a product manager at Intuit, who's, you know, the maker of popular software products like uh, QuickBooks, TurboTax, Mint, um, et cetera. And now in terms of like the specific book, like Modern College and, you know, why I really got engaged with this, the truth is that I fully expected to kind of leave college in the rear view for good uh, after I graduated. I think like a lot of people, um, you know, we enjoy our time in college, but then there's this thing called, you know, the real world that hits you really quick. And instead of having time to digest on the past four years, you're, you're hyper-focused on the journey forward. And, you know, I really attribute a lot of my motivations to this, to having a younger brother, Austin, who was starting right as I was leaving. And essentially what that did is it, it kept me engaged with the college environment. It kept me thinking because I was offering advice to him. And we would do these, you know, nightly phone calls across the country. Um, and I, it had me just reflecting on these ideas. And what I realized was like, wow, like all of these things I really had to figure out through trial and error. And it had me questioning why there wasn't a resource for me to figure this out ahead of time. Um, so that was kind of like the underlying motivation for it. Um, and from there, it just really became a passion project for mine. Um, on weekends when I wasn't at you know, LinkedIn um, or doing other things, I was basically trying to learn more about the higher education and job networking space. And let's talk about your book a little bit uh, because I think it's really interesting. Well, we're going to talk about your book a lot because I told you before, like we've talked a couple of times and I've read your LinkedIn profile, right? But reading your book, I've gotten to know you because you talked a lot about your journey and you share a lot of examples through your book. And so that's why generally I would want to talk a little bit more about you and your story, but I think we will dive into that as we go to the book, just because you shared those, uh, some of your personal examples in the book. You divided the book into three sections. Can you talk about what, what they are and why you thought about why you did, did it the way that you did it? Yeah, that's a really good question. So for me, like I spent probably before I started writing this book, I probably spent a good three to four months just thinking about how to structure it. Um, I wanted a winning structure. And I think the reality is it's, it's hard to find one because what it really boils down to is that while there are some like, key frameworks that are the same, key principles, to your point, every college experience is different, right? And they're like, as much as you can give people the high-level overview for how to do it, the second you start to get into the details, you start to really like segment your audience in a way that it might not be applicable to others. So I really struggled for a while to figure out at what level to write about college and the experience. And basically the reason I chose like these three areas was that I, I had this fundamental thesis, which was that a lot of the, you know, trouble I see college students and recent grads have is because they tend to make decisions kind of in isolation. So what I mean by that is a lot of people will say, hey, like, I'm going to make the decision of whether I go to college in a vacuum. I'm going to make a decision of what I want to study in a vacuum. And then I'm going to make a decision of what I want to do 
after college in a vacuum. And the reality is that all of those things are interconnected, right? Like what you want to do after college is fundamentally going to be influenced by what you study and the knowledge and skills you receive. Like what knowledge and skills you receive are going to be fundamentally influenced by what college you go to or if you even choose a four-year degree. So that's why I felt it was important not to gloss over it. Um, because I felt that if I only wrote about one areas of these books, then I wouldn't actually be hitting it all. And the second main reason for it was that I wanted to like basically draw a line in the sand and basically define like what is the purpose of college, right? Because I think if you ask 10 people, they might all give you a slightly different answer. And for better or for worse, I, I chose to anchor on this idea. And I think this is where you and I, you know, philosophically are aligned, which is that you know, college is too expensive to just be like an intellectual experience. Like you need to have some return, right? Like you wouldn't go and put a $300,000 investment down somewhere and not expect something tangible in return. And so for me, it was like, it really has to tie back to landing a job or career that lets you live the life you want, right? I don't want to like set it to a specific number. The amount of money people need is different from person to person, but you need to make sure that you can live the life you want after. And I felt that this framework would allow people to reach that the best. Yeah. And the first section of it is, should you go to college? And the, even though it's a great section, you talk about the purpose of college and how the college has transformed throughout the years. I'm going to kind of skip that because the reality is that my audience, it's already in college. They're already pot committed, right? We, yeah. we you talked about that um, already in, in your book. You talk about even how you chose your major and how they're like, engineering or business and um and so i think it's really interesting so we're gonna skip over for the first section is should you go to college and you do a really good job about if 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 you're a student that happens to be in high school and is listening to this recommend you reading it for most say 99 percent of people listening to this podcast you're pot committed right you're you're probably a junior or a senior and so we're gonna just talk about um the next section of it, which is the three things that matter in college, right? Um, you talked about what you learn, what, who you surround yourself, surround yourselves with and what you do. So let's start with the, with the first thing, you know, or let's talk about why you broke it down to three things and, and why those three things. And then we can dive a little deeper into each one. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, obviously as you can tell, I'm kind of a big fan of the rule of three. Um, there's like, kind of a vanity, you know, side to that. Um, and that's like easier for me, but then there's also like a, you know, like a mental model that I think allows people to absorb it. But, you know, again, for me, it came back to when I was looking at the early structure and I'd read a couple of books, like some examples are like, you know, The Naked Roommate is a best-selling book, um, you know, The Freshman Survival Guide. And like, what I felt like was they, they hit this long tail, right? Of like topics, right? Which is like, you can get really specific about like this specific club or this specific major, or, you know, all these things, but I wanted to try to, you know, leverage and, you know, this is a book that I know, um, or a concept I know you're familiar with is like this idea of Pareto's principle, which is like, what are like the like 80% or the 20% of like inputs or decisions that are going to lead to 80% of the outcome in college. Right. Um, and so for me, that really meant narrowing down to like, what are the main buckets that if you get these things right, and hold all else constant or like let everything else be different from person to person. As long as you get these core things right, you will have success, right, during and after college. So that's where that kind of started. Um, and then from there, like I'm happy to talk to each one of those sections, but from there I was able to define what I felt was like a clear, you know, sort of 
grouping of those uh, those key items that are going to lead to the main outputs. No, and we won't hear. Like, here's the thing, guys. Like, listening to this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, listening to this podcast. The purpose of this podcast is I want to talk about the main takeaways that I learned from the book, right? And and still, I learn every time I read something, especially something on a topic that I feel like I'm very knowledgeable about. But more than anything, I want to encourage you to read this book yourself, right? And so I want to talk about some of the things that I think you're going to take away that are really big takeaways that you'll learn from and that I overlaps a lot also with what, how I think about it because it's just reinforcing and here's, and that to me is really important for my audience to get reinforcement from a whole nother point of view from someone who grew up in another side of the United States, right? Who was whole different uh, education than I did, right? You were an engineer in economics. I was a marketing management major. Um, you wanted to work for the tech companies. I went to a more traditional CPG company. Um, we have different experiences. By the way, I love uh, Intuit's products. I use all of them, by the way. So uh, I think I'm a, I'm a big fan of Mint and yeah. how it allows people to budget and plan and, and everything like that. But anyways, I digress. Let's go back to the book. Um, and so let's talk about your major, right? This is a really important decision, right? it's going to impact a lot for the rest of your life, but you're right. We were, we rush into it a lot of times. Um, maybe you'd share a little story, your story about how you picked your major, your first major, and maybe some advice and students on picking a major. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think before like diving into my specific story, like the first thing that I always try to hammer home and I, I'm glad we're aligned on this because it, it makes it easier to push this message, which is, like the first thing you have to uh, agree on is that your major matters. And it's crazy to like think this, like that would be like a controversial point, but there are still a lot of people who, you know, went to college at a time when it might've mattered less or people that, you know, have for whatever reason, like found a way to like find a different career uh, despite it not really aligning with their major. But for the vast majority of people, your major is going to really be crucial to your, what you learn and what you're able to do after college. So, you know, assuming like we all agree on that, um, you know, for me, it's, it was kind of an interesting path for how to get there because it took me a while to realize that statement I just said. And when I came into college, I I tell this story how, you know, I went to a large like public state university. um, And like, I just remember we had this uh, orientation called SOAR where they would bring in cohorts of people, you'd meet like students coming in and you know, you'd like sign up for your initial classes. And I remember we're in this big auditorium, um, you know, all the students and their parents and this, you know, this guy comes on the mic and he's like, Hey, like, we're going to like split up to the different like sub colleges. Um, So like, look for the person holding your sign. And then he just like mic dropped. And then like, it was just chaos. Like people were like running all over the room. And I like just had the split decision moment where I looked over at my mom and I was like oh crap like this is like actually happening right now like I'm like like am I picking my major like this is really unclear and I I remember like I was kind of split between like engineering and like business I think I'm a more naturally business oriented person um, but my dad like worked in like the you know nuclear energy space and he had been like pushing really hard like you get an engineering degree like you can like get a high paying job after school So I like had this moment of like, I don't really know what to do. So I'm just going to follow what he told me to do. And I I went 
with the engineering cohort and I remember walking over I was like hey like I haven't like picked my major and they're like no like don't worry like you can always change it later but this is what I didn't realize was that I was starting to like already fall victim to the sunk cost fallacy so this is basically this idea of like the more you invest in something like emotionally um, the more likely you are to stick with it because you you'll see it as a net loss if you like switch to something else and basically what I didn't realize is that during that session I scheduled courses that were making it really hard for me to pivot like I was doing all engineering specific courses so first it was like one semester and then I was like oh well like crap I'm already like one semester in. like what's another semester and then I'm a year in and I'm like I definitely can't change majors now and then I go two years and I do an internship in the field um, and I basically was working for this company that basically made wire and cable that powers the coolant valves and like nuclear power plants so it's like pretty important, right? Because if these break, you could have a nuclear meltdown, which obviously no one wants. Um, and I, I remember just having this like kind of, you know, existential crisis, like midway through the summer where I was like, I hate what I'm doing. Like, I don't belong in like a lab or on a production floor, like doing these tests. I'm really unhappy right now. I don't know what to do. And it was in that moment where I reached out to one of my mentors and was like, hey, like, I don't know what to study. Um, and I actually like show this conversation in the book. I'm like, I don't really know what to study. Can you give me some insight? And we started digging deeper and I realized that, you know, one of the side projects I had done at the company was doing a little piece of software on the side. And what I realized was like, I'm much more passionate about software. I'm much more passionate about like consumer facing, you know, products like this might be the path for me. So I made this bold leap, which has probably been one of the best decisions of my life to switch to computer science and economics going into my junior year. So that's basically my long winded story of like how it happened. And the reason I like to include it in the book is I feel like there's this misnomer that everyone comes into college knowing exactly what they want to do. That's like misnomer number one. And misnomer number two is that you can just learn whatever you want and like end up wherever you want. And like, to be clear, I, I would not have had the role I have today if it weren't for those majors that I selected. So I think it, the sunk, sunk cost fallacy, it's important for students to understand. I think that is a, one of the biggest for me that you explained very well in the book is that people, and I see it all the time, like, oh, I'm not going to change my major. I'm a junior. Like, I, I, it, why would I, I would have to retake one year, two years, three years. I might as well just finish. And and I think it, it, it depends on the circumstances on what maybe that is the smartest choice. If you're in a more technical field, your degree matters more, right? If you're in a more general field, like if you wanted to be um, in a less technical field, I can't even think of it right now. It's been a long day. But you, if you wanted to be in a less technical field, then you can, you can go and, and get by with a, a management degree or marketing degree or a liberal arts degree. Yeah. Um, some sort but if doctor lawyers engineering engineers like those you you're going to want to get a very specific degree uh, on that one thing we disagree and, and I, I don't want to really is double majoring I actually do I double major myself yeah but I the, I used to always be really big on no no double major yeah. Very, very few example ex exceptions that I say, hey, double majoring makes sense. Yeah. One of them would be if you're a, an accounting student that wants to go for your CPA, when you double major in finance, it gives you enough hours for you to uh, take the CPA exam. Um, yeah. But other than that, I, didn't, I couldn't really find many exceptions that really make sense to double major. Uh, but 
you made some really good points, but still, I don't know if I'm sold, man. Yeah, no, I, I actually love that, like, pushback and, like, on that because I think it's good because a lot of times, you know, and I'm, I fall victim of this myself where, you know, I confuse, like, the, the solution uh, with, like, what the actual underlying problem is. So I guess just to, like, clarify, right, and maybe this will, you know, help, like, uh, rec- uh, you know, reconcile some of the, like, um, you know, differences in opinions here is, I look at like a double major as kind of being like, it's like one solution to a core problem. And the core problem is this, like, if you want to succeed in, you know, the modern workforce and the future workforce, right? Like having a diverse skill set matters a lot, right? Now, how you get that diverse skill set, there, there isn't one, there isn't one way to do it, right? So I might've been like overly prescriptive in the book to, you know, suggest a double major. Like, to be clear, I don't think everyone has to go that path. Um, but it can be like the value to it is it can be a forcing function to pick up another skill set. And the reason I think it's so important to have knowledge of different domains is because most of the value that hasn't been unlocked in our society yet lies at the intersections of domains, right? Like we as humans are like really good at going like deep on like one subject. And the second it starts to be different domains together, we struggle. And I'll give you one like really tangible example that's um, relevant to today's society, right? So in my opinion, one of the reasons our society has struggled so much to deal with the fallout of COVID is that it's something that crosses a bu- across a bunch of lines and a bunch of domains, meaning like you need not only a, a good perspective on public health, right, um, in biology and whatever like aspects are to the virus itself, but you also need to have a good understanding of economics and how uh, public public policy decisions are made. And I think what it goes to show is like, there are very few people that like have deep domain across or knowledge across domains. And so I guess just to like summarize, like the double major, right? Maybe that's one way to do it. But in general, I always encourage people to like, not be afraid to like, not pigeon themselves to one subject and to like pick up knowledge in more than one space. Um, so I don't know if that helps reconcile um, the thoughts there, but I think it's a good push. Uh, you're right. Like, I don't want to overly prescribe for everyone, um, but it, I, I see so much opportunity in these areas where there's an overlap of domains. And the more you can, like, pick more than one subject, the more likely you can capitalize and help that. I think that's important. At least I see, I think, is for me, I think it's important that a student has some sort of clarity about why it makes sense to have those things. Like in your, in your, in your scenario, you did engineering, but then you did economics because you were, you wanted to know the business side of it. Right. Yeah. That made sense. And like you, you talked about, that's a big reason why you got the job at Intuit because you under like Intuit is a technology company that creates financial software, right? TurboTax, Mint, uh, QuickBooks, all financial sucks. So the fact that you understood the technology, but you also understood the core business concepts was you were a perfect match for mm-hmm. that company. Yeah. But to pick a double major mm-hmm. without having a lot of clarity, I think is a very costly mistake just because you're yeah. just trying to pay thousands of dollars to, to discover if this class is worth it or if this is good yeah. or not. Like, um, I, I just don't know it, but um, we can talk about that forever. I think it's just something yeah. to think about as a student. It's just something for you to think about different perspectives. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. 
so you talked about, and we won't dive into as much as we did about the major, but surrounding your, who you surround yourself with. And I am really big about networking. I talk mm-hmm. about networking a lot in my book. And you mentioned it here too. One of my favorite authors, you know, speakers, Jim Rohn, and you, you quoted him, you know, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about why you have seen that networking and who you know is so important, not only in your career, in your college success, but also in your career success. Definitely. Yeah. There, um, you know, when I like try to explain this to people, I think there's like sometimes like the very like data driven and like technical approach to like how networks work. Right. And I, I touch upon that briefly with this idea of weak ties versus strong ties and how there's like actual data to support that your weak ties are people, you know, that are from social circles and networks that uh, you don't sit in the center of, how those can unlock disproportionate value. But then I think there's also just this sort of emotional side to it, right? And, you know, going back to that quote at the beginning of the book, when I see people have their college experiences derailed, um, rarely is it because of like grades or exams and stuff, right? And like, don't get me wrong, there will be always cases of some people who, you know, um, struggle with that and they may have to like come back but usually what it is is it's usually stuff outside of the classroom that derails uh, a lot of young students as they're going through the college uh, process and you know so much of you know your success and how you act will be defined by the people around you and you know kind of a more of a personal note I talk about this briefly in the book uh, I keep it intentionally anonymous but you know one of the people I live with during college um, you know super talented guy um, smart um, came from, you know, a really wealthy family. And his entire life really went off the rails for a while because of his drug addiction. Um, and it, what was really fascinating to watch about that was, you know, and scary to watch was uh, how many of the people around him fell victim to this as well. And in some cases, luckily, he was able to get his life back on track, but uh, some of his friends were not as lucky and actually, you know, died of overdoses and things of that nature. So there's like this, you know, surrounding yourself with positive influences helps so much just from a lifestyle perspective. Um, and then there's like the actual networking side, right, which is like the more tactical side of it. And, you know, at the end of the day, right, companies are run by people. People want to work with people they like, right? And so the more, like, the sooner you recognize that fact and like try not to like fight it, but embrace it and become part of it, um, the more success you're going to have, right? Like if you can connect with people, if you can find a way to, you know, um, work with others to be, you know, productive with them, um, you're going to be, you find yourself much more successful from a career and like a networking perspective. Hey, Daniel here. We've just hit the middle of the episode, but before we move on, I want to share the story of one of the students who recently went through my academy. Hey guys, David here, and I just got the internship of my dreams, and I wouldn't have been able to do it if it wasn't for the help of Daniel and the Master in College Degree Academy. Before the program, I had been looking for an internship for about two years, and I didn't get anywhere. I sent out more than 100 applications, got called back for five interviews, all of which led to nowhere. Then I met Daniel, who introduced me to his program, and my progress skyrocketed. Uh, Daniel had, has been a recruiter. He's been out there. He knows what works. Um, he knows what recruiters like, and with those tips that he gave to me, I was able to do way better and immediately start putting, you know, his teachings into practice and getting called back for interviews and offers. Um, it was wild. I'd never imagined that it would be as successful as it was. Um, 
if there's anyone out there that was like me when I was looking for internships and not getting anywhere, I highly, highly, highly recommend, I can't recommend it enough, that you become a part of this program. Uh, Daniel, you know, Daniel offers a, a money back guarantee. If you don't like the program or if you can't get a job, which is insane, you know, like <laughs> it gives you no reason not to do it. If your life will be better and you'll end up getting making more money because of it anyway, right? So, you know, what are you waiting for? Give it a shot. It'll make your life better, I promise. Uh, thanks again to Daniel and the, the awesome program that he made. I owe my life and my future to him. If you want me to help you reach your career goals, just contact me. And now let's get back to the rest of the show. And in the last, the last thing you talked about in this section is what you do, right? So are you getting good enough grades? And I, I love the fact you said good enough grades. And you yeah. talked about um, how GPA is important, but is relevant, relevant to where you're applying for and what your, your major is. And I think, you know, we won't dive into it because we could debate GPA all day long, but I think we're actually more aligned in GPA than I would have thought we were. Yeah. I thought we would be, we would differ. I think yeah. GPA is important, but it's not the biggest most important thing that we make it sound like because i think you can have an average gpa so me and you both graduated with a 2.9 gpa that is the average gpa of a ceo just want to let you guys yeah. know that, that is <laughs> that's awesome um but I, so I, I agree with that and then i love the fact that you talked about things that are common sense but are not common practice so staying out of trouble and how like drinking and sexual relationships can actually get you in trouble so that's super awesome but and then you also talked about mental health why yeah. did you decide to talk about alcohol sexual relationships and mental health in your book um I, you know it's something that i didn't even think about mentioning but it is a big thing to talk about that goes on during college campuses yeah it's a, a really good question like for me, I think it comes back to, you know, the previous statement I just made, which is that when I look back and I, I did a lot of reflecting while I was writing this book and I, I looked at the paths of some of the people who, you know, kind of lost their way in college. It was like never like people like failing too many exams or anything like that. Right. It was usually something outside of the classroom going wrong and like a moment of indiscretion or like a trend of indiscretionary decision making um, that really sort of like derailed them. Right. And so on the one hand, like I didn't, I don't like being like overly prescriptive or telling people how to live their life, right? Like we all have different interests. We all have different um, hobbies and pastimes. And I, I don't want to like pass judgment or tell people what to do. Um, but I did want to make people aware of like, you know, when you go to college, right, you're going to be surrounded by these factors and these decisions that you might not have been exposed to, right, before college. And it's really important that like you take a long-term decision-making approach um, when you're doing that. And like the reality is, and I don't want to sound like I'm this super mature individual, right? Like I graduated a few years ago. I, I'm still going through some of these, um, you know, issues with mature decision-making, but like it's very easy to make like short-term decisions when you're in college, right? And the biggest learning lesson I just want everyone to like take away from these and why I included some of these stories was like, you, you don't want to make a decision that'll affect your whole life right in the moment right like you any decision like that you want to be thought out and you want it to be deliberate and it, i felt it was important to discuss these themes in these central areas where people tend to make um mistakes so they can at least spot the trends and maybe just maybe you know someone reads this book and 
somewhere in the back of their mind, you know, this section comes up and maybe they change their mind, right? Like this may be overly optimistic thinking, but uh, I would have felt I'd be doing a disjustice or, um, you know, injustice to, uh, you know, my readers if I didn't at least touch upon it at that point. It's like, again, it's, for me, it was like something I really like grappled with. Like, did I have to do it in the book? Like you can have conversations outside the book, which I'm sure like you do as well, right? Um, but I just kind of like decided to go with it. But I also at the same time didn't want to like devote too much of the book. Like there are books out there that cover this in such depth. And um, frankly, like it just feels like a little bit of overkill at that point too. So, yeah, no, I, I love it. Let's talk about um, just because of lack of time. Yeah. The, the, the third part of the book, right after college. And, and you talked about, you know, you, you talked about a lot of things here. You talked about, you know, personal branding, networking, uh, pursuing professional opportunities, lending professional opportunities. Uh, and then you talked about the real world. So, but let's dive into something that I found really interesting about building your professional network and then brand. And yeah. because I am, I am so big on that. Like, I really think that the best way for a student to recession proof their career is to build a, a personal brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that you work at LinkedIn now, I think obviously influences a lot of how you talk about this because it, yeah. I think link, LinkedIn is your, it's your website. It's yeah. your website is your online link is your, is your online resume. And you talked about that as well, but we'd love to get your opinion on personal branding and utilizing LinkedIn as a college student. Definitely. Yeah. So, you know, part of like what went into this, right. It's like trying to, I was trying to think ahead a little bit when I wrote this book and like, I touch upon this in my afterward a little bit, but like, I thought I was like making these like very like forward thinking um, sort of points and stuff. And then I feel like COVID just rapidly accelerated all those changes. And now they, some of them might even seem obvious, but you know, I think there's a few major like macro trends right now that are like really important for people to recognize, right? The first is that, you know, our society is becoming much more virtual, whether whether we like wanna accept it or not, like more work and more interactions are gonna be done online. And if you don't have a presence there, you are fundamentally missing out on opportunities. So like, again, like the first thing is recognizing it. Before you take any action, you have to recognize and accept the value of it. Um, you know, I think some of the more like tangible things that like I put into the book are like, we're seeing trends of like, you know, the average tenure at companies, right, um, is going down across certain uh, cohorts. So if you think about like, what does that mean, right? Like what's like a second order effect of that? Well, the second order effect of it, or at least one of them is that um, you have to have a brand that sits outside of the company more, right? Like I think for a lot of previous generations, right? Like the, where the tenure was longer and like the tried and true way of success was to put, you know, 20, 30 years um, and at the same company, your personal brand became inextricably linked to the company brand. Whereas that's not necessarily the case today, especially in certain areas of the country. So it's really important that you have a personal and professional brand that can stand on its own. Because if you do want to switch companies or if something like COVID hits, right, um, where you suddenly find yourself out of a job, it's important that you know, you can stand on your own two feet and a company can hire you uh, as an individual and you also have the skills to um, land that next role. I love it, man. I think that's so important. I think, you know, one of my marketing professors, she's the best, Dr. Messiah, she's been on the podcast. She taught me something that really like hit home to me. It's like, we're all a million dollar brand. And if we just think about 
making $50,000 a year for 20 years, right? You yeah. made a million dollars. And so whether you treat yourself like a million dollar brand or not, you are one. And so you have to be purposely on like how you manage that. And so managing that brand, right? Not, not doing anything. It's doing something, right? It's your decision to not do something and it represents you. So I think it's so important to build a personal brand, utilizing platforms like LinkedIn, um, making sure that, um, that, that you are posting and, and sharing and documenting your journey, I think are simple ways to build a personal brand because I, I, I do, I see it. The people who've built a solid personal brand have companies reaching out to them versus them applying for jobs and they're handpicking their opportunities and it's recession proofing your career. Um, so I'm so passionate about that. Um, let's talk a little bit about hiring effectiveness by channel. I love that data that you share, right? About how, how the most effective way is the hiring manager referral with close to 20% success rate. Why don't you yes. share us a little bit about that? Cause to me, that's, uh, that's something that I always knew, but never looked at it like that. And with those, with those numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So like, first of all, I wanted to, you know, just like say, you know, job bite was like the site I found it through and, I was really looking for some like tangible data around this because like I had known from my like anecdotally from my personal experience that like when I had the most success was when like I had these like human to human or person to person interaction and was able to like, you know, build a bond and then, you know, that eventually like resulted in an offer. But I was like, is that just, you know, am I a one off? Is that like some weird data point? And basically what this data shows, right, is something that should probably make sense when you reflect on it, which is that, you know, a lot of these online channels and like, you know, um, generic formats for like submitting resumes, like, I'm not going to say like they don't like lead to opportunities, right? Like in aggregate, they still lead to a good volume of opportunities, but your success rate is much lower, right? So I think what it comes back to is this idea of networking and the importance of having relationships. Like at the end of the day, like human beings are inherently social creatures. And if you connect with someone, you are much more likely to have an opportunity to work with them, right? Like people want to work with smart people that they get along with, right? And so it, it makes sense that if, you know, the person hiring and actually building the team, if they can form a connection and they believe in your skill set, that in many ways is the, the ultimate, you know, signal. It's better than any resume. It's better than any generic interview. It's a, it's a direct, you know, mapping of uh, how successful you'd be in that role. Have you found that to be like, I know a lot of, obviously you wrote this book a lot from personal experience as well, but like for companies like LinkedIn and Intuit, like how much of that comes from uh, referrals versus just applicants online? Uh, yeah. So I think, uh, sorry, could you repeat again? Uh, I had like a slight uh, mic uh, cut off. Yeah, no, no problem. So pretty much what I was saying is now that you work, you've worked for really amazing companies, right? Companies that get thousands of applicants, are very competitive to get a job in, into those companies. How have you seen the people that have worked with you or how even have you've gotten a job been through referrals or the, the online application, right? Like those statistics are one thing, but like from your personal experience, I, like those top, top companies. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, I can talk my personal experience and then I can say the data that I know. Um, so, you know, from my personal experience, I basically was reached out directly by a LinkedIn recruiter. At the time, I didn't have like a strong inclination to leave into it. I was really liking uh, the project. I had a ton of autonomy uh, while I was working on Mint. 
Um, but, you know, I basically received an in-mail on LinkedIn from a recruiter. And, you know, that really just uh, struck up a conversation that led me down the funnel. And so for me personally, it was that personal outreach, right, from the recruiter um, that, that led to a lot of success or like led to the high success and ultimately the job. Um, in terms of what, like I can tell from LinkedIn and these larger companies, right? Um, you know, I think LinkedIn as a platform reflects, you know, kind of how job markets go and that there isn't one direct channel. Like there's a reason like we didn't just like build a generic like job submission site and that there's like this social aspect to it, but like why we didn't just do the social and ignore all the application stuff. And that's because there's more than one way in. I can say this much, like at LinkedIn, the general, uh, success rate is very low, right? I think uh, at our last sales kickoff, they put it up on the big screen. It was like, there's something crazy. Like there's, uh, I forget the exact stat, but it was like for a lot of roles at LinkedIn, it's like less, it's like one out of like, I think over 200 applicants, um, like actually get a role, might be even lower than that. Um, but what I can tell you is that if you wanna improve your chances, it certainly helps to get a referral. We actually have, uh, at LinkedIn, these direct referral links, right? Where when it comes to the employee, it essentially goes to a prioritized like stack rank list, right? So by going to that, like you were like quite literally separating yourself from the pack, right? Because this has now been marked uh, with that. You know, the other part of it too is that we at LinkedIn at least have like almost like a reputation score tied to how successful these referrals go. Um, so like we are invested in like wanting to refer the best candidates. So um, you know, from like a pure mathematics perspective, like you are like literally separating yourself from the pack if you can get that referral. Um, you know, you could argue there's a downside to this as well. And this is one thing LinkedIn's trying to work on is like, um, we have this idea of like the plus one pledge, right? Where the downside to this is that these networks can become a little bit like closed walls, right? And that's not what you want, or at least that's not the type of, you know, society or job market I want to live in. Like I want to live in one where um, the best people are the ones I get to work with, uh, regardless of, you know, your background, where you live, your race, um, anything like that. Like, it's how do we make sure that everyone's getting active? So that's like the one downside, I think, in some ways is like, the referral system works great, as long as everyone has an equal opportunity to be part of that system. Um, and that's something that, you know, I know LinkedIn takes very seriously. Our uh, CEO, or I should say recently former CEO, Jeff Weiner. Um, you know, he just stepped into this new role as the executive chairman where this is like his main priority um, is making sure that we build a network that everyone um, can participate in. I love it. I love it. So just because of time, I want to quickly just talk about how to thrive in the future of work. You put three key themes and um, I kind of want to talk about the, all of them really quick. Number one, get to the city. Uh, this is something that are, are very common uh, Scott Galloway. We love Scott Galloway. We both like his content. He talks a lot about, and I think it was interesting that you mentioned it in your book. What motivated you to add this into the book? Yeah. So like for me, like, again, like what I was saying earlier was I was trying to think ahead and I wanted to see ahead of the trends. Right. Um, and I started going really deep on some McKinsey white papers and they had this one on the future of work. Um, and so like very early on in the process, I actually had it as one of my references. Um, and I saw something like a really startling statistic, which is that like, you know, 60% of job growth is expected to happen in basically 25 cities in the US, right? And for whatever reason, us as humans, we tend to gravitate toward one, one another, right? It's, it, it's 
part of what makes us great as a species. And it's also a, a risk, as I think COVID has shown, right, is you pack this many people together, uh, there are some risks as well. Um, but as I was going through that, I, I read the, you know, Algebra of Happiness book by Scott Galloway. And I was having a hard time, like, putting it into, like, more, like, personal terms of, like, why it makes sense to go to a city, right? Like, it's not just, like, to make more money. It's not just, like, about that. But there's also this almost elevation of the human spirit and energy when you're around people and especially some of the brightest minds um, in the U.S. who I believe will continue to gravitate towards these cities. So I have this quote that Scott uses in the book um, that I referenced him on it, which is like, being in a city is sort of like tennis, where you only get better if you rally against people that are better than you. And one of the things about being in a city is it, for whatever reason, they're magnets for talent. And by going in a city, you're going to be surrounded by, um, you know, the best and the brightest, and it's going to force you to elevate your game, um, you know, in your life as a result. Yeah, and it's, this is something that I, I, I never heard of that concept like the way that it's described in your book and the way that Scott talks about it in his book. Um, but when I read it, I was like, that makes so much sense. And for me, someone that I just turned 30, you know, graduated college eight years ago, I, you know, looking back at it, it would have been a very smart move for me to move to a large city. I live in Orlando. It's not a, it's not a small city, but it's also not a New York, LA, San Francisco type of city, right? It's not an Atlanta. And I really do see it because I struggled a lot from the time that I graduated college until maybe the last two years, I struggled surrounding myself with people that would really um, push me, right? I felt like every time I went, I, my wife and I talk about this all the time. Every time I went, we would go to downtown Orlando. So like where all the bars and clubs are, we mm -hmm. felt like the conversations always surround about events or other people. Yeah. And then we would go and we travel a lot. So we'd go to New York, we'd go to Washington, D.C., and we can notice the level of conversations that were happening just at bars and restaurants, right? Yeah. Let alone what was happening in offices and networking events that I was obviously not attending. And so I, I, I see the value. And luckily, in a sense, I've been able to build a really good network of people, like talking to individuals like yourself because of LinkedIn and the internet. But for most people that don't ever build a brand on LinkedIn and don't ever do that, they'll yeah. never get exposed to a network of individuals unless they're in a city. And, um, and so I think a solution to that, you know, if I think about what the future to me looks like is best case scenario, you move to the city. Second, second scenario that you might have is you can build that type of network on LinkedIn but people are not only going to be willing to talk to you on LinkedIn if you are actually putting out brand, your brand and putting out your own content. Um, mm -hmm. Like how like me and you got connected. Like if I didn't have a book, if I wasn't putting out content, we would have never talked. You yeah. would have never knew I existed. No, I completely agree. And yeah, like I guess two brief points I would add to that. You know, one is that like to be clear, like I think we will become more virtual and I think that is a good thing, right? Like the more virtual we get, the more access it gives people who maybe don't have the opportunity to go there right um you know and while we'll be more virtual i i the reason i kept the section in the book is i don't want to become a victim of the moment right like i think we a lot of times tend to uh you know place an added emphasis on how things are now like i think as long as there are young ambitious people uh cities will be very prime destinations and they will be popular um the second point i wanted to add to which is basically um you know 
look, I come from Wisconsin. Um, the majority of my state is very rural. Um, I have a lot of friends who are extremely successful not living in big cities. And I don't want to like, um, you know, and I hope I conveyed this correctly in the book was I don't want to make it seem that you can't be successful if you're not in a large city. I simply want to float it out there as it being a major opportunity. The reality is that cities, especially these bigger cities, they're not really sustainable in a lot of ways, right? Like um, the average like one bedroom rent in like San Francisco, I think is something like three to $4,000 a month, right? Um, but it's precisely based on the fact that they are not sustainable, which is why I recommend if people are going to do it, you should do it quickly out of college um, because it's kind of the time to do it, right? Like you don't have the commitments of maybe like a house you have to look over or maybe not a spouse at the time. Maybe you do have a spouse, but you guys don't have kids yet. Um, so if there's a time to do it, um, that is probably the most opportune time. So it's just something for people to consider. Again, it's not the end all be all, um, but it's just, it's something I wanted to throw out to people because there are real opportunities there. Um, and if you can capitalize on that unique time in your life right after college, um, you know, it might work out for you. I love it. So quickly, let's go over the last two key themes and then let's wrap it up because sure. this podcast has been amazing, but want to make sure we keep it within an hour. Sure. Key, key theme number two was technology advances would radically change the workforce. Like, yeah. tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So um, I've been trying to do a lot of research around this, uh, having worked close to some of these technical fields. And I, I think one thing is clear, which is that, you know, the dynamics of our workforce are being fundamentally shifted by technology advances. Um, two in particular that just absolutely cannot be ignored, right, is one, automation, right? We now can basically take jobs, right, that normally would have been done by humans, um, and they can be done by machines instead at a lower cost and at a more effective rate, right? And every company, every private company based on how America works is incentivized um, to go that route, right? It's a uh, inherent part of uh, capitalism for better or for worse, and it's an inherent part to these private companies. Um, the second really is around, you know, kind of what I'll like morph together as artificial intelligence, machine learning, whatever. And what that really comes down to is it's going to make humans and our processes more efficient and it's also going to again automate some of the non-physical tasks as well so what does that mean as you know a member of the workforce it means i think two main things one is that the nature of jobs that are going to be available is going to shift whether it's a one-to-one -one, i tend to think it won't be a one-to-one -one, um, but regardless like there will be a fundamental shift on the types of roles right that are available so you know, today, while you might have been doing one job, right, tomorrow that job might be fundamentally different. The second are the skills that are going to be involved with it, right? Like, if you take this leap, and I don't think it's a huge leap of faith, but you take this leap that this technology is going to automate certain areas and be really good at these areas, the question is, what are the gaps that are posed by the technology? And if you can fill those gaps with the skill set, um, you are more likely to succeed in the future of work. So, um, I kind of go into some of the details of those in the book. I'll, I'll spare the details on this podcast, but um, you know, you ignore these technologies and these advance, uh, advances in technology at your own peril, in my opinion, uh, in terms of how the, the world's going to evolve. Wow, that sounded super dark. But either way, <laughs> uh, you should you know, constantly be trying to re-up your skills because I do think these changes are real. Um, and hopefully it nets out positive, but you want to make sure you're on the right end of those changes. Yeah. And then your key theme number three was personal branding, which we, we've already spoken about. And we talked about the importance of personal branding, but 
that um that book like just the way you finished the book was amazing i think it was really important how you just put a hole you wrapped it up in a bow and it was amazing alex what is one takeaway that you would want students listening to your book to take away and and why you think every student in college or going into college should read it yeah i mean it's tough because um i want to tell people to read the whole book but you're right like you know most people absorb one or two things and i think um the one or two biggest things for me are number one is make sure you understand your why for going to college right it is fundamental to everything you do there right um you don't have to have it all figured out but if you can have a general direction for what you want to do after school and why you're in there it's going to form your intent by behind every decision you make right I think that's like big thing number one. And I think the second really big thing I'd want people to take from this is what we've harped on a lot, which is the importance of your network and your skills. Those two things combined will allow you to succeed in life, right? More than anything else. And I, I really hope people take advantage of that because I think we actually do a disservice to a lot of our you know students throughout the entire education process in America. like. We focus a lot on just this raw knowledge, but we forget about the people uh, in our lives and how critical they are um, to finding those success. So I would say those one or two things are really key. Um, you know, and the rest is like, I think just really tangible advice that hopefully, you know, people can apply uh, in their day-to-day -day life. Love it, love it. Alex, where can they get your book or, and how can they get in contact with you? Definitely. So in terms of the uh, book, I've chosen to, you know, list it on Amazon. So if you just search Modern College, um, you can find it there. Uh, we're going to have it on uh, both Kindle as well as paperback. Um, in terms of, you know, how to connect with Modern College, uh, you can search Modern College on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, I have a page with all of that as well as themoderncollege.com. From a personal standpoint, um, I talk a lot about not just higher education, but also product management and technology in general. Uh, you can follow me at Alex Valaitis, uh, V as in Victor, A-L-A-I-T-I-S, um, on all the major uh, social platforms. Um, like I said, again, higher education is one thing I talk about, but if you're interested in any of these other areas, um, I try my best to you know, put out new content around that. And, I'm always interested to connect with people and hear what they think. And you can find some of those links, all those links actually on the show notes. So make sure you check out his brand new book. Alex, thanks you so much for coming on the show. This has been an amazing episode. And for everybody listening, thank you so much and catch you guys on the next episode. All right, my friend, congratulations for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. In the age of short attention span, this speaks volumes of you. So now, if you found value in this episode, then I am sure you're going to find value in the Mastering College to Career Academy. So if you want to learn more a little bit about that academy, go to masteringcollegetocareer.com or just send me a message. And thank you so much for listening and catch you guys all on the next episode.